1: Welcome to Offensive Assault, World dedicated first-person shooter podcast. we got a MOBA podcast that's, well, it's frankly a lot farther ahead than the global offensive assault, whatever you want to call this podcast at this point. We're a lot farther (laughs) along there. I'll I'll put the blame on myself. Fiesta Watch has been doing a great job over in the MOBA section, but we've missed a lot of action in CSGO, Overwatch, and Call of Duty. Uh, Our host from Fiesta Watch, Wyatt will join me today to talk about Call of Duty, Overwatch, and everything else. First-person shooter, but also we have a new guest, Christian Cutlick, who is our main man for Call of Duty. He's done all the articles for the CWL Group Stage uh, rounds previews, recaps, notes. It feels like you're just you're just doing everything right now, Christian.
0: Yeah, I'm basically running Call of Duty right now on the site. It's kind of a uh, exciting. You, you say that
1: you say that with a smirk on your face. I I well, have a feeling if I'm reading lines that's not actually an exciting thing for you.
0: <laughs> well, no, I'm just, I'm surprised myself that I've kind of like took over this branch, you know, like it's a cool place to be in.
1: That, well, that's kind of why I'm it saying over. it with a
0: smirk on my face.
1: Well, you, because you've taken it over now, we're going to have to ask you all of the hard hitting questions and your opinions on everything. Um, <laughs> and be careful because I have gotten more predictions, right?
0: Yeah, about you About these group uh, stages. Especially group, re, group blue, you got right. What
1: do you mean it was group? I had I had all of them besides. I had group blue, I had yellow, I had green. The only one I got right was green. I don't show what you offense to it. That's okay. All you have to do <laughs> is admit that I'm a better podcast host and the better guesser of Call of Duty information. That's fine with me. That's all I need. Don't give it to him. Don't do it. Stun silence it.
0: from the crowd. <laughs> do oh my
1: god, I this This
0: is my first all... podcast, I can't really say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just move right into the action right here. Uh
1: this podcast kind of be gonna be more devoted to I think past stuff that we've kind of missed on covering in the last few weeks um, as opposed to kind of looking to the future of a lot of things. So let's go ahead and talk about with Christian I let's go ahead and talk about the CWL Global Pro League. We've now seen eight teams advance to the playoffs, two from each group, red, blue, yellow, green, all the colors of the rainbow. We have Team Envious and Splice from Group Red, Evil Geniuses and Phase Clan from Group Blue. EE United and Luminosity Gaming from Group Yellow, and then Optic Gaming and Enigma 6 were the last ones to qualify for the playoffs. Out of Group Green, then we have Mind Freak, we have Rise Nation, Epsilon, and Elevate. They're all qualified for Stage 2, but they won't be a participant of the playoffs. And then we have four teams, Cloud9, Fnatic, Millennium, and Red Reserve, three of those. European teams, congrats Europe. woo you did bad. Uh, yeah, they're all ready for relegation <laughs> stage matches. So... What's the most surprising development? I think we'll just toss it to you first, Christian, since you're the, the new guy to this podcast. What was the most surprising development out of all these uh, group stage matches?
0: Uh, I would say Evil Geniuses getting first place in Group Blue over Phase Clan. Because FaZe Clan, coming into all of this, they've won several tournaments. And then they got in by the skin of their teeth. They've won one map over R- Rise Nation, and they just barely got in. It was kind of, it was frankly surprising because, um, I'm a bit of a phase fanboy, I would say. And, uh... was going to be fun, like, since I'm an
2: Optic fanboy.
0: I know, I'm getting two <laughs> Optic fanboys here. And, <laughs> but, um, I was frankly surprised how poorly FaZe landed. did. Um, but besides that, the brackets kind of came out looking how you'd expected. Um, I predicted epsilon over Luminosity. But, uh, Besides that, yeah, I, I think this is kind of frankly what everyone was expecting.
1: I kind of have to agree with you. A, on, on the biggest, the shocking uh, result was Evil Geniuses taking first from Group Blue. I actually did suggest kind of in our, in our Skype chats that we had earlier that I thought Evil Geniuses was going to qualify for the playoffs. And that's a bit of a stretch when, when we first said it because they were the last team to qualify for Stage 1 to begin with. I mean, that, that was the huge uh, fight at c at Dallas. To get to that point, they beat a few other teams, namely Panda Gaming. Hashtag R.I.P. White's favorite team. That's, that's way too bad of a hashtag. <laughs> I love Panda Gaming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Evil Geniuses, to get to that point, it was a pretty big surprise. So to have them actually qualify for the playoffs is a stunner. But make no mistake, they are a very good team. And frankly, I think that they were they were due to have a good run at a tournament. And that's basically what this was. While this was just a stage one uh Group state match. It was basically a small tournament. And in that sense, we were just due to see Evil Geniuses, I think, succeed at some point. The bigger shock out of that was that Rise Nation fell out of the playoffs. But really, I mean, they had not done well since CWO Las Vegas. Rise Nation just – there's something wrong with them. And I don't know if I have an answer to why.
0: Um, the only – after watching so many games with them, the only way I can say why is that it's a team of like four leaders – so I think there's a lot of like miscommunication between all of them. Like all, if you look at Rise Nation's roster, they all led a team last year in Black Ops three. And I just think there was some miscommunication with all of that. They tried to get Pac-Man in before they started the group play. And I don't think he was able to iron out all the kinks in time.
1: Do you think Pac-Man brings a sense of unity to the team, or is Rise Nation one of those teams that might need to make a move? I mean, I don't want to say or put words into your mouth, but you're kind of suggesting that the four-leader approach might not be the best way to go for this season.
0: It might not be. Um, I think out of all four on the roster, I think you would keep Looney and Aqua, um, and you keep Pac-Man as a coach. Maybe drop the other two. I, I'm hesitant to say that. I think I still think they have a lot of potential, but they just haven't been able to get all the way up there right now. And I think it just has to do with a lot of the changing meta. They started out really good early on, where it was very like a long-range game, but now it's kind of like a mixed game. And that's kind of where they've struggled.
1: I'd have to agree that, that if you're going to make a change, if you're suggesting you need to make a change, you need to talk about players that who Rise would be switching for. And I don't know if there's anybody in the free agency pool right now that really would help that team one way or another. I'm a huge fan of Chino. I've been a, a fan of Chino since early last year, and I think that he's an excellent slang guy uh, who I just recently did a note on. He's a, he's a free agent now, that he could make a difference. And I don't think he'd be as vocal of a leader as maybe some of the other guys would. But there isn't really that many people in the free agency pool that A, have the talent to compare with the, the guys from Rise Nation that should be dropping, and B, I, well, honestly, at this point we have to start worrying about pro points. I mean, Rise Nation, has, the, the current iteration of Rise Nation has a significant amount of more uh, point points than anybody else in the free agent wire. And that's going to affect, in essence, if they're going to be able to qualify for the call-to-do World League championships.
0: Yeah, that's kind of also why I'm hesitant to say they should start switching now. Because if they keep it this roster, they're pretty solid going into the World League. But again, like they're also not winning tournaments anymore. And that's something you have to consider as well
1: one team that did make a switch, um, and honestly, we just had the information come out a couple days ago now, Cloud9, they, of course, the team that has now fallen into relegation after really a dreadful performance at Group Red, uh, where they fell into fourth place behind Splice, behind Mindfreak, the only Australian-New Zealand region team to qualify for the Stage 1 uh, playoff. Well, Stage 1, I guess you can call it playoffs, but Stage 1 just overall. There's, there's a clear disconnect between the Cloud9 that we know they have potential to be, and the Cloud9 that we are currently seeing. Christian, do you feel like these moves they have made now recently is going to help Cloud9 or is it going to hinder them even more?
0: I think it will help them. It can only help them at this point. Um, but, but from what I've seen, I think it's, again, similar to what we were talking about with Right Nation. It's just a problem of miscommunication. Uh, Patrick Aix is kind of controversial, to say the least, in Call of Duty. Um, And just through all that, I think he wasn't getting along with his teammates, but he was hesitant to make the change at the same time. But uh, they added Exotic from Gozu Crew, and they added Priesta from Panda Gaming. And Priesta and Exotic were probably two of the best newcomers this season outside of (coughs) Enigma 6.
1: I'm hesitant to suggest that that's the case. I, I, I've been a fan of Exotic for a little while, um, and I hate when people are like, oh, yeah, I've been a fan of this guy, and this happens a lot in the CSGO circuit. I've been a fan of this guy, and he just like randomly popped up out of nowhere, so you can just, you can just say, like, yeah, I've been a fan of this. But you look back, I think Exotic is, is definitely an up-and-coming player. I'm not sure I feel the same way about Priesta, but this move, I agree with you that it has to be better if for no other reason than they need to make a change. I think sometimes, at least in esports, You need to make a change. And obviously you don't want to make a change and get significantly worse players. But where Cloud9 is and the players that are in the free agency pool, I don't think they're that much better than Ricky and Lacefield, who are the two that they dropped from Cloud9. I'm a huge Lacefield supporter. I really think that he'll be a a good good guy on a team that really needs an aggressive slayer. And I fully anticipate seeing Lacefield, if not on the Stage 2 team, in the Call of Duty XP. Ricky, on the other hand, I'm not so certain that's the case. I'm just not sure that his play style fits the meta that we're currently in, and and hopefully the meta changes so we can allow for more of these players to take part, but I'm not sure that Ricky's the guy. So in that sense, you're trading two guys that are, are equal, or one guy that's equal, let's say, Exotic and Lacefield, and then you're improving with Priest and Ricky. So I think that has to be a positive move, but will that get them out of the relegation stage? That's the key question.
0: Exactly, and I think that all kind of comes down to Aches again. Aix is the leader of Cloud Nine and he's been the leader for quite a while now. And he seems nice, but I we don't know what goes behind the scenes. But for some one reason or another it is like it just falls apart during games. Like either all the cards are on the table and he does X them, or he's just kind of like floundering and the whole team flounders. I
1: I think Akes, both as a leader and a player, is probably the most polarizing person in competitive Call of Duty right now. I think that Killa probably had that role for a long time, but he's largely (laughs) been passed over as a guy that we we look to and and believe that he's a true pro. And I I actually admire Killa, but (laughs) I think that's fair to say at this point, at least what he's been doing right now in his career, that he's passed that. So I think Akes is the most polarizing player in competitive Call of Duty. And that's because he's so good yet. I know that he's a bit on the older side if we're talking uh, different generations of players. But at the same time, we can't discount what he can do from a leadership perspective, but also the knowledge of the game. That's why I think that he provides more so than I would say you know, 90% of the players right now. I think Aix provides a different sort of mindset that you can't really get from, from anybody else.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the problem has just been like he just can't pull it together that's been my impression like ever since like las vegas it's just been one problem after another and it's either he he can't just from where he is in the game he doesn't seem to have like a broader sense of like map control or even being able to know where to pressure people and it's just kind of frustrating to see because we all know he has that potential
1: what You've been suspiciously quiet. Is this just because we're not talking about optic gaming? Are you are you just being quiet and in defense of that now? <laughs> no, no.
2: Of course. Not. I mean, you guys were having a really good conversation, so I was honestly just eating it up, just listening to it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think I just have a, just a couple comments, just you know, on, on a couple things you guys touched on. Um, Lacefield from Cloud Nine. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do going forward or what what team is going to drop on because you know i'm with joe i think he's a really good player um i think with that dynamic on cloud nine it clearly just wasn't working out very well and that's kind of the thing that's popping up in a lot of the, especially the shooters and and just this world like in csgo and both and uh, call of duty as well there seems to be a lot of team dynamic issues from some of these big squads so it's interesting to kind of see that pop up now and then but definitely excited to see where he's going um, and I'm excited to see the the playoffs here because I wasn't able to catch a lot of the group stages just with doing a lot of CS:GO stuff. But once the playoffs hit, I'm definitely excited to to watch Optic destroy everybody.
1: <laughs> Honestly, they're on that path, right? It, it feels yeah. like it feels like Optic is gearing up to have one of those epic run, runs, similar to what they did last year. But before we get into that, I do want to touch on what you were saying a little bit Wyatt, uh with Lacefield. I really hope that he doesn't go down as the guy that yelled at people that were saying awful words to him at Call of Duty XP last year. I hope yeah. that that isn't Lacefield's defining moment because I know the talent that he has, and I also know that I probably would have responded in a similar way, seeing and hearing some of the huh. stuff that was going down. Just because you knocked off, knocked off gaming, knocked them out of COD XP, that doesn't warrant that type of discussion, the type of uh, mm-hmm. conversation that was coming from that. And I think Laceville and Aches too. Aches didn't do it as much, but Laceville and Aix, kind of at the same time, they both kind of popped off of the crowd. I hope that isn't his defining moment, because I know he's a better player than just that. And I hope that he can find a right situation to show that. I agree. In the part that, that's so
2: so bad about that specific instance at Call of Duty XP is that that was a hell of a match. I mean, that, that oh, went yeah. you know that went to Game 5. It went to Round 11, in Search and Destroy. Like, it came down to a 1v1. Like, that was a hell of a match. And he played really well, too. I mean, I, I don't think he was in that final 1v1, but he was slaying really well in that, that last Search and Destroy. So, I mean, he showed how good he is. So, it does kind of suck that that's kind of become the conversation of what happened with, you know, the people saying all that kind of stuff towards him. You know, and you can't blame him because I mean, nobody wants to have all those kind of things, you know, kind of hurled at them. So I definitely hope that you know he lands on a really good team, or even just a team where he can shine and, and show everybody his skill set and show that he actually he is a good
1: player. He's more than just that one moment. Christian was touting Exotic and Priest as kind of the two best up and coming players, save for Enigma Six. I would say also United would be thrown into that discussion, minus Silly. Uh, most of those guys are pretty noted the scene as well, but. That being said, Lacefield was kind of that guy that I that what Christian was describing Zach And Priesta last year, that's how I felt Lacefield was. I know Lacefield had been around, I think, I think a little before then too, but really he kind of came out with Cloud Nine during the the first initial Call of Duty uh, Call of Duty Global League stage one, stage two, and he really carried that into COD XP. And I know that particular game, which you mentioned, why he didn't have his best performance. But throughout that tournament hole, I think he was one of the highest KD uh, players mm-hmm. in the tournament as well. And I know we can't really judge that. Uh, or That's not that's not the biggest judgment on a player. I know I fall yeah. too often in that trap where, you know, best KDs are what we talk about as good players. But Aches kind of covers that role as the coach and leader in telling what we're doing. So if he's saying, Lacefield, go get these guys, and Lacefield is going killing these guys, well, then his role is doing – he's doing a very good job with his role. So I mm-hmm. thought Lacefield, and I still think, is one of the better players – I just hope he can fall into the right situation, because I thought partnered with a guy like Aix, who's so smart, I thought for certain that would be a way to benefit him, and it obviously didn't work out. Um, and, and I guess we'll have to wait and see to where he ends up being and, and what he can be as a player. Yeah, yeah
0: I, I don't think anyone's disputing the talent of Cloud9's previous roster. It was just that it just wasn't working out, and the question is like, who Lacefield will work out best with. And it <laughs> definitely wasn't Aix.
1: I, I think that's a fair point. Obviously, I mean, he's he's released now. We we can't really go back at this point. Um, one one team that we cannot dispute their talent is Optic Gaming. Uh, I mean, they thoroughly destroyed Group Green. Goop! Oh my God, Goop Green. Yeah, really. That's the you know, <laughs> no, Green. Group Green, the Green Wall dominated Group Green. Surprise, surprise. Frankly, though, I, I kind of thought that was the weakest division of all of them. I mean, we're looking uh. at two European teams now. I liked European teams last year. I still think they're okay this year, but they had proven to be not as successful as their NA counterparts. So in my mind, Group Green was the weakest of the group, but yet still, I mean, Optic Gaming won every single one of their series against their oppositions. We can't really discount that despite the the less than performance from the team. So Optic Gaming, I think is it's a consensus from this group is the best team heading into the Stage 1 playoffs, correct? Correct. Correct. Do we think that they'll win the Stage 1 playoffs, though? I mean, there are seven other teams that are gunning for the shot, and we saw it in Stage 2 last year when we had Dream Team kind of make this miraculous run and get Mm -hmm. second place, and then I think it was Luminosity Gaming got first when Mm -hmm. Study was a stud. So just because Optic Gaming is on point right now, do we think that they can actually win it all?
0: Uh that's that's a tough question to answer just because uh, United and Splice are the two big competitors going into this right now, too. And I think the problem with Optic Gaming, they can slay, but I don't think they can adjust their game quite as fast as they need to. Um, Splice and United definitely can, and I think that's the one up they have over Optic. Um, and Optic just, it, they can slay, and they know how to play the game. I just... Think they need to play it faster sometimes. Like you see it in their search and destroy against Enigma 6. Uh, a lot of those round, a lot of those search and destroy rounds went to game like 11, 10. And it was just because like Enigma 6 liked to flank. And sometimes they were like, they just threw away games sometimes because they were just like, we wanted to see what their strategy was. They weren't trying to play against them, they were trying to wait for them to come. and and reveal all their tactics instead of just like trying to outslay them. Well, if the criticism
1: is that Optic Gaming is playing slow, that might be the case. But if we're just comparing it based off of their Enigma 6 match, if that's not fair, Enigma 6 is probably one of the fastest teams, uh, movement-wise, and just what they're trying to do and their game plan of any of the ones that qualified for the playoffs. I mean, I think that's kind of what has made Enigma 6 rise to where they're at now, is that they play at a pace that many people aren't prepared for, or if they are prepared for, they can't match. So if Optic Gaming doesn't want to play at that pace, well, I, I understand that. I look at more a team like E-United, who you mentioned earlier, uh, Christian, as a team that could very well knock up, knock off Optic Gaming. We've seen them do it in the past. But it's like E-United is playing for you to make a mistake. And Optic Gaming, for as great as the players they have, they will make those mistakes, whether it's just out of bravado or that they just simply think they're better than their opposition because, frankly... They are, 99% of the time. I, I think United's one of those teams that can take advantage of that and then make it work for them. They don't have to be killing everyone. They don't have to be, you know, like just slaying out of their minds. They can win in different ways. And historically, those are the teams that Optic Gaming struggles against the most, the teams that are a little more smart and cautious and I guess can can use Optic Gaming's greatness against them, if that even makes sense. I'm not even sure if that makes sense, but that's, that's almost how it feels with the United.
0: Well, it's always with United. you know, you're outslaying them. You know, almost every time you play against United, they have, like, half the team has negative KDs. And they win off of, like, two three picks because they just take all map control. They just completely flip spawns out of, like, two kills. And that's definitely the case with Optic Gaming, is that if they just get two kills, you know, Optic Gaming is going to be shut out of, like, Three hard points, or they're just going to not have drone control anymore, and that's that's why EU united I think it's better at search and destroy too. They play very unselfishly, and I think sometimes, you know, Optic Gaming's all these like huge titans. Everyone talks about Scum, Karma, Formal, crim 6 Sometimes they get a little streaky, and they think like I need to get these kill streaks. E-United doesn't need to do that. They don't care if he gets kill, kill streaks or score streaks or anything. They just play off of one kill, and that's really what makes them strong.
1: It's interesting that you bring up Search and Destroy as the mode that uh, Optic Gaming needs to do better at. Why I understand, especially last year, Search and Destroy was one of their weakest game modes. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, it was almost like a historical proportion that they struggled at COD XP. And it wasn't just that tournament. Previous ones before that, too. Uh, Optic Gaming just could not figure out Search and Destroy. Now it actually feels like Uplink is the is the mode that they struggle at the most, which I find very, very surprising given the fact that they are such a good slaying team and they are able to communicate, I think, pretty effectively as a group. Um, why do we see some of the struggles in Search and Destroy in Uplink? Why, why do you think that that's a cause for concern if you are an Optic fanboy like you are?
2: You know well it, it's good that they definitely have have up their search in the store since you know if it goes five games they're going to have to play that twice so definitely being strong on that is needed but uplink is such a crucial round because it's that game 3 you know it's that round 3 so that's always the midpoint of the of of any given series so if you can't lock that down with consistency you're going to struggle because even if cuz if you win two and then you lose uplink then that's going to shift momentum back into the other team's favor, uh, favor going into another um, hard point. Lost the name it there for a second, but so I think the fact that they're kind of struggling—that's what gives me the most pause in saying that they're going to straight up dominate everything. Just because there always are these small weaknesses, and they might be small, you know, it's, it's one round, but the fact that they can't consistently, you know, win at all of the rounds is kind of worrisome to me i think that inconsistency and i think you touched on it perfectly with their their bravado and their just kind of cockiness sometimes comes through they think they're the best which i mean they are the best but sometimes that leads you to make some pretty boneheaded mistakes
1: i wish the people listening to this podcast could see what's happening right now christian is literally holding his mouth shut as wide as talking (laughs) so not to jump in and and i'm assuming spew hot venom at him is that is that what's happening here christian (laughs)
0: No, I'm just kind of listening to his opinion, and I I kind of generally agree with him. It's that you gotta get. I I think the reason why all these teams are starting to struggle with uplink is like they changed where the goal was on throwback just slightly, and that threw off everybody's game. Like you saw a lot of missed throws, like I think Cwl Dallas, just because that was like one foot back, kind of just threw everybody off. Even FaZe Clan had a lot of trouble with their Uplink game, and FaZe Clan's kind of infamous for Uplink. And also I think it has to do with a lot of the maps, like Precinct. Um, I think a lot of teams are very practiced on throwback, because you have Search and Destroy throwback, Hardpoint throwback, and Uplink throwback, so everyone knows that map very well. But then you have Precinct and Frost, and those are two very like, small, aggressive maps. Uh, I think people are more practiced at Precinct than Frost, and Frost is always kind of the swing game. It's, or the swing map, rather.
1: That's fair. And, and honestly, I should I should clarify with my comments on Optic Gaming, it's not that they've struggled entirely at Uplink, but there are certain maps they have definitely struggled at. And that goes for a lot of different teams, kind of what we're talking about. But you being the FaZe Clan fanboy, Christian, we saw them fall to the number two spot in Group Blue, uh, and that took... To the last day, the last match against Rise Nation to be able to qualify for that. Do you think that was partly due to uh, the injury that was going on there, or do you think that there was
0: more to it than that? I think it's because they're too streaky of a team. If someone's not slaying out, they just fall apart. They make a lot of sloppy mistakes. Um, You don't really you see it more with Clayster than anybody else. Uh, That's kind of my. I think he's kind of the weak point right now. It's like, if he's losing, he gets really frustrated really easily. And when he's winning, he gets, like, loud. You even hear him, like, if he's streaking out, you hear him yelling in the background of games all the time. And it's kind of like, if you're listening to it, you get kind of hyped for them, too. And <laughs> it's just, if they're, but if they're not, if they're not slaying out, they just kind of, they forget how to play the game.
1: So you don't feel like it was part of Zuma's injury at all? I mean, we learned that, um, thanks to Dexerto's good interview, I mean, honestly, that I hadn't even known that was an issue until we kind of saw that creep across my Twitter timeline today, but Zuma appeared to be injured, was dealing with a bit of, I guess it was a cyst in his hand, um, and that was what caused a bit of the issues. He still felt like he performed pretty well. I mean, I think the statistics would say that he was pretty, pretty good too, but I have to imagine that having a guy of his caliber injured in any way affects your team's performance somehow.
0: Oh yeah, but like recently the season Zuma's not like the big playmaker he is anymore. He's really left that to um, attach and enable right now. Like that's really the two Clayster and Zuma have taken a step back in phase plan. They play more for support, especially Zuma. Uh, he plays more for spawn control, and attach and enable are the ones that kind of are supposed to slay out. So I think like Zuma having an injury, like even though it kind of may be weakened his game, I don't think it was a huge game changer for them.
1: All right, fair enough. I guess you hear it here first from from the phase fan clo- Fa- FaZe fanboy himself, Christian, talking about Zuma's injury not being that big of a deal. I'll pose this question to both of you. I already have entered my answer in. I think United is gives uh, Optic Gaming's best shot at losing in the Stage One playoffs. We'll start with you, Christian, first. Who do you think uh, gives the best shot at knocking off Optic Gaming?
0: Uh, besides E-United, I would say Splice. Um, then Luminosity, I would believe. Man, you're extra credit
1: here. I wasn't expecting three answers. There's only one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, those are the three teams I think are going to really hurt them. Phase Clan, every time they go up against Optic Gaming, they kind of like just lose out in the end, oddly enough. And... Uh, I think is E United and Splice are going to be the big contenders for optic.
1: I, I, I mean, I think that's, that's probably fair assessment wide. I know it hurts you to even think about uh, who can potentially <laughs> beat optic gaming, but who do you think is the best chance at knocking them off in the stage one playoffs?
2: I think I, I'd go with EU United as well. Just be, from what the little that I saw during group yellow, they just, they looked really dominant. I mean, Obviously, Optic was the most dominant overall, but like you said, they were in sort of a weaker group. So they that was honestly a group they should have dominated, and if they didn't, it kind of would have looked a little uh, a little lackluster. But United is definitely going to take it to them. They've been playing really hot lately, and I think everybody wants to take down the Giants. So with Optic being so good, everybody is going to be coming out. Everybody's going to bring their best. I mean, there's the eight best teams in the world right now, and... It's going to be a really fun playoffs. I still don't think that Optic is going to lose because I don't know if my heart can take it. XP was enough last year. I I want to continue to see some good stuff from the boys. Uh, But, you know, it's going to be fun, though. And I think a United-Optic grand final, you know, I think that would be amazing. And hopefully it goes the distance.
1: We've seen that final so many times. That's my only (laughs) Um, thing. And I, I don't know if I get tired of seeing what I would deem to be an upset team in a United there. I guess, how many times, though, do they have to get first or second place for them to not be an upset team anymore? Right? That, that's I mean, I think they're past the point of being an upset, and now they're probably one of the best teams. I would love to see a Phase Clan Optic Gaming final where Phase Clan actually wins. I think that you can't have a rivalry without both sides winning games. And right now, Phase Clan... Is horribly on the wrong side of that rivalry, so I'd love to see FaZe Clan get a win, maybe even before Stage Two, uh, the Stage Two playoff starts, or even COD XP. I, I kind of would love to see a little bit of an envious Optic Gaming match in the finals. I think that we're all kind of sleeping on Envious a little bit, and we know what kind of potential they have. That roster has not changed. The meta is fitting now more to the playstyle they like. I think as JCap gets to understand and learn the game even more. I think the more time you give him, the more dangerous Envious becomes. And I think that the fact that none of us have even mentioned them until this point—that—that's to me normally when Envious does their best when they're when they're not even being discussed in the conversation.
0: Yeah, they kind of proved that at XP last year too. You know, they kind of ran through the whole bracket and they went up against Splice, and they won XP. It's just that. It's hard to always see them as like the strong team when they're never really doing that dominant. Um, We're forgetting Stage course, 2, then, of
1: last year. I mean, that that was yeah. when their coming out party was. That's when EnVyUs really ran through a lot of things.
0: It's, it, it's definitely changing the meta for, towards them, but that's been the case for the last couple months, and they still haven't given that dominant performance I've been looking for. Uh, well,
1: that I guess... Always, There's no real way to argue against that, I'll be honest with you.
0: Yeah, but like it's been an AR game since like Las Vegas, you know? And they just haven't done what we thought they should do.
1: Well, I guess we'll have to see how it all plays out. The playoffs take place next week. We see what the groups well, I don't even know if it's the groups, we just see how the playoffs go ahead and work themselves out. The group drawing will be tomorrow. Christian, we're gonna have to have you back on again and discuss more Call of Duty action. Clearly, you know way more than Wyatt does, so that's now two people that have <laughs> more on top of things than Wyatt. <laughs> wow, yo, look, I got so many things. I'm juggling
2: five million plates, so give me a break. Give me a break. But I promise you, next podcast, I will watch a lot more Call of Duty. I'm gonna come at you with that super hot fire. And you're gonna be like, oh wow, he knows a lot now.
0: I look forward to it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm tired of thinking. I'm tired of fighting against just Joe.
1: <laughs> Not Call of Duty. There we go. All right. So at least <laughs> we can admit that we're in equal opposition. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with being in equal opposition to the Call of Duty man. That sounds good to me. Christian, thanks again for coming on. Well, it's great to have Christian on talking about some Call of Duty Global Pro League Stage One playoffs. I'm really excited for that. I think Optic Gaming kind of discussed that already. Is going to be one of the top teams. However, we don't see Optic Gaming really much in Overwatch. For that matter, we don't see anyone in Overwatch because Wyatt. We still don't know anything about this elusive Overwatch League.
2: Yeah, the Overwatch League, you know, I I hope there's still time. There's still time to, you know, to bring this back. But, you know, when when Blizzard first announced this last November at BlizzCon, everybody was very hyped. You know, it was going to have contracts and combines and regular seasons and, and, and real weeks and real practice and scrimmages and practice squads. You know, it it was a very lofty idea, and here we are, you know, five months into 2017, and we still haven't heard anything, and we haven't heard anything officially. We've heard a lot of things in various reports um, from ESPN and other places about the prices of buying into this league, which are reported to be as high as $20 million, which is ridiculous, honestly, um, for for what it is for a league that hasn't been established and doesn't has no track record. And then when you look at a league like uh, the LCS over in league of legends, the buying, the buy-in price there is $1.8 million. So I don't know how you go from an established league that's in season seven to going to a brand new league being $20 million. So it's very crazy uh, the, the prices are high. Teams are balking at this. They don't want to pay these high prices. So you're looking at a lot of the high-profile teams who did have Overwatch rosters, who've been competing in some of the the uh, unofficial leagues that have been going on, and they're all dropping their teams. So there's kind of a mass exodus going on in
1: the Overwatch world, and we haven't even gotten started, which is kind of scary. I think the biggest part of that that you're talking about is that League of Legends is selling for $1.8 I mean, that's the high price. I thought I read today that Ninjas and Pajamas had put a bid in for the Fnatic Academy team for 500000 That was lower price. And I immediately mm-hmm. thought of the Overwatch League and how they're allegedly charging $20 million for their spot in there. And I think like, League of Legends is at the highest of esports, right? I think that's the most popular esport there is right now. It's probably due yeah. for some natural regression at some point, whether it be this year or next year, kind of starting down that slope. But at the same time, it's still one of the most popular. I'm not sure how you can justify to anybody, especially smart millionaires and billionaires, that this new up-and-coming esport is worth 20 times more than the most popular esport out there. I recognize what franchising can mean. I think we both discussed that in our first Offensive Assault podcast, what the franchising aspect can mean. And I really kind of hope that comes around for a lot of different esports. But Overwatch yeah. is not there. It's, it's not there for its game, and it's not there for its popularity. It's just not.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you said, $20, $20 million is a, is a very lofty uh, price to pay, and especially when you look at some of the other reports that are coming out that teams aren't guaranteed to get revenue sharing until after 2021. So if they were to pay $20 million right now, they're not going to get any of the revenue sharing or anything like that until four years from now. And not only that, but you know, you have to. Blizzard has to meet certain criteria. You know, I guess it's probably if they make a certain amount, then they're going to share. So there's a lot of questions, and and the the part that's kind of the most um, uh, upsetting for me is just the fact that Blizzard hasn't been very vocal about anything. You know, we heard about Overwatch League in November when it was announced, and we haven't heard anything officially since then. They released a statement last week in response to all of the, the teams backing out and just kind of a lot of the prices. But instead of kind of uh, saying any concrete information, all they basically said was, hey, those sources might not be true. Let's not you know listen to those. They might be trying to say things maliciously. But instead of actually disputing them with actual facts, they're just saying, hey, don't look at those guys. Just keep focusing on us.
1: We're going to give you something soon. That's my biggest thing. That's my biggest yeah. thing out of this whole. that, I, I mean, that's going to come. I don't know what they were thinking. If they were thinking that people weren't going to start trying to dig around, if we weren't going to start having these types of stories appear, because we don't give information for six months about this much Ballyhood league that could make or break not just Overwatch. It could make or break eSports, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what this, this is what this amounts to. This is that big of a deal. And when there isn't information about for six months, yeah, people are going to start digging. Yeah, you're going to have guys like Yahoo and ESPN trying to find more information out of it. I want to know that as an eSports consumer. And Mm -hmm. when they're not providing that to me, which they have not, I mean, we've had to just go look through videos of things where they are showing general concepts to uh, investors, and that's how we found our first information. When you're literally not providing any type of information, that's where people like me get concerned because I want to see this succeed. I want to see eSports succeed. And we can't Uh get that when we're not getting the information. So, yeah, when we're asking for $20 million for for an Overwatch franchise stake, that's a big deal. Um, And and I think that it's a bigger deal that they didn't just actually provide information, to your point. I think the fact that they kind of said, no, actually, just don't look at these things. It's okay. It's fine. Tells me that there are bigger concerns, that they really don't have that. Or, and I don't think this is the case because I actually respect Activision Blizzard's company, or that they are just horribly mangling this as a PR standpoint, and they just are saying, oh, you know, we're just going to try to lead them on as best we can until we actually have information. I, I don't think they're thinking that.
2: Yeah, I agree I, I think that. it's yeah, a little yeah, more malicious so. than
1: that. I think it's a little more malicious, and I think that there, there isn't a lot to go with right now. And I think that they probably did have people interested that then blocked that $20 million price tag. There are only so many Robert Krafts, the owner of mm-hmm. the New England Patriots, in the world. I don't think that there is more than 30 yeah. That's my thing. I don't think that there's more than 30 people that are willing to put $20 million down on what really is still an experimental thing in eSports. Because this is, again, this is not just about Overwatch. This is an eSports yeah. in the structure. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I think there were a ton of teams that were interested. I mean, that you can see all of the teams that picked up Overwatch squads. And so there was a clear... Um, want for this kind of league and just with overwatch being so big i mean it won so many game of the year awards last year and you know it's ranked it's got its own ranked mode and you know they got the ogn league going on in korea so you know there's a lot of uh hype for it and there's a lot of want from a consumer standpoint for more overwatch um so i think there was a lot of teams but then once they started seeing these price tags it just was a little bit too much and it's just you know i think blizzard may have kind of overshot things a little bit. They thought it was going to be a bit more, I guess, hyped. I thought they'd get more investors than they did. So I think, you know, hopefully they're they're kind of talking right now and trying to reevaluate and see how they can pitch this a different way and get a lot of these teams back. Because like you said, this is something that could make or break esports. If the Overwatch League succeeds and they deliver on the promise of contracts and revenue sharing And, you know, actual structured leagues like we see in the NFL and the NBA, uh, that could be a very huge thing for esports. So only time will tell. We'll see what
1: happens. But right now it's not looking the best. I think it would be a bigger deal to me if we didn't already see something like the NBA 2K League, which is basically a de facto franchise league already Mm -hmm. developed out of 17 teams. And I know NBA is probably more progressive on the traditional sports scale spectrum. The fact that they've been able to they've been able to establish an esports league based on around a popular game, but not nearly as popular as Overwatch. They're mm-hmm. able to develop a, a, a league around that. And we can't see something like Overwatch get to be an esport and have its own league and something that just it's really frustrating to me. And it's frustrating to me because I don't I don't think Activision Blizzard understands quite the the severity of a failure like this would be for not just their game, but for the scene. I mean, people are still going to play Overwatch, regardless yeah. of an Overwatch league or not. However, people's livelihoods and and what people are going to invest into 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 esports could drastically be affected should this thing kind of kind of flame out. I don't think it will. I think cooler heads are going to prevail. I think that they're probably going to put the asking price down a little bit more because this is something real. This is something tangible, and they, they I mean, people are interested. To your point, consumers, everything else, they're interested. But man. Yeah doesn't make me feel good right now i agree well give me give me some csgo news i need to get a little cheerier this is way too this is way too downtrodden at this point
2: all right well i mean i don't know if this is going to cheer you up any better um we've got some (laughs) i have a couple topics that we want to look at that's not how we should start
0: this
2: (laughs) (laughs) um so starting off uh just a small thing i mean not not small it's kind of becoming a little bit of a big thing so fnx uh former player he was on sk last year and he left that team due to reported uh, team issues and, and just sort of uh, he did wasn't gelling with the squad. And now he went to Immortals right after that, uh, which is another Brazilian team. You know, so he went from the kind of the main Brazilian team to kind of the little brother uh, Brazilian team in Immortals. And after three months, he has been benched once again. And again, it has been uh, reported that there's a lot of locker room esque type issues. So. You know, like I mentioned earlier, when we we're talking about Call of Duty, it seems like this is something that's popping up quite a bit. This whole issue of um, there being, you know, player issues and not being able to get along with your teammates, and well, I, that you know, getting along with your teammates is something that is inherent in all esports or all sports in general. Right. I think esports is sort of particular in the fact that, you know, in basketball, yeah, you have to get along with people. But when you're on the court, you know you're, there's a certain motion to everything, and even if you don't get along with somebody, you can still pass in the ball. You can still, you know, block for them, that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to to esports, I think especially with a game like CS:GO and even like Call of Duty, that's very tactical in nature. I mean, tactical is more on the CS:GO side. Um, there's tactics in Call of Duty too, but just the nature of CS:GO having it be based by rounds and actually needing full on strategies to take bomb sites. If a player's, you know, if, if a player is very, has a bad attitude, that's going to affect the entire team. And, you know, if, if every single round, if you keep losing and, you know, F and X is sitting there, I mean, we don't know what he was doing or anything like that, but if he's kind of after every round, just being very downtrodden and, you know, aggressive and sort of his, um, his disdain with you know either his player or his teammates play, it's going to affect everybody. And the fact that he's now been bounced from two teams within a six-month span, that's not very good. And I think teams are going to kind of start to be a little bit wary when going into you know trying to pick him up or anything like that. But, I mean, Joe, do you think, do you see that too as far as with the
1: whole team dynamic? Is it a little bit different in esports than it is with normal sports? Well, first, be honest with me. You would never have used the word downtrodden if I hadn't used it to, to get into this conversation.
2: Did you use downtrodden? Yes. I don't Maybe oh, don't you, don't you pretend up,
1: you like know. you didn't hear that. Don't you <laughs> feign like you didn't hear that. Stop it. You know, you heard downtrodden. That's exactly why you said it there. If it was, it was subliminal,
2: because I, I I did
1: not recall that you used that word. Listeners, he's doing this with a wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of face going on right now, <laughs> so I don't buy any of that whatsoever. To answer your initial question before you stomped all over downtrodden and its, and its usage, <laughs> I think that we do see that teamwork is important, obviously. I'm just curious how and why this has eroded the way it has. and I, I have to wonder... If it's not, you know, like the oversaturation, I understand it's going to be a different topic that we're going to discuss in just a little bit, but I really do think it plays a part in this. It's so easy for eSport personalities that are just getting into the scene to kind of say, oh, CSGO plays too many games. It's like that's the easiest hot button slash not hot button topic to touch on and to go over. Um, And I think that's why you hear it so often. Mm -hmm. But it's a hot button topic because it's the truth. Like we all want to watch CSGO action. But the amount of travel that these guys are getting put through, um, the amount of moving around that's going on, I can't imagine that helps your psyche in a positive way. Even if you're winning all these matches, like I think winning kind of is a, a cure-all for things, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you're going to get sick of these guys, especially when you're in such high-stakes situations and people are bitching and yelling at you. Like what we hear on the comms, I mean, that's a, that's a normal thing when there's $700,000 in line for first place or whatever yeah. else, you know? The stress of that is going to weigh in, on it. and I think that that makes a mark on, on players and why the team chemistry doesn't work. I think that you would ideally love to go to battle, figuratively and literally, with your best friends, uh, especially mm. in this kind of atmosphere. Best friends being the fact that you can communicate with one another and, and let things slide. But I just can't imagine if somebody was verbally berating you, you know, month after month, whether it be a positive or negative thing, you know, how even if your team's winning. That weighs on you. That has to yeah. weigh on you. And I wonder if that's the case here. We don't know, obviously, enough about the situation really to to speak specifically on this behalf. But that's where I think that we see these changes. It's not so much that the there's no talent or whatever else. It's that when we're talking about team chemistry and gelling, I just don't want to be with somebody that's going to be yelling at me the whole time and getting down on me. Certain people know what it to do to get your you know to get you upset. And that might be just the situation here. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, if you look at SK after FNX
2: left too, you know, SK is always going to be one of the best teams in the world of um, CSGO. But after he left, they they did seem to play a little bit more loose and they started winning more. So, I mean, I think there was a clear issue there. I mean, time will tell what happened with the Mortals after that. But I do think, uh, the point you brought up about sort of the oversaturation and that kind of weighing on you, it has to play an effect on a, a person's psyche because, you know, that's going to be our, our, the main topic that I wanted to touch on here, just because in the last couple of weeks, there hasn't been a ton of, of, you know, tournaments. We have our, our normal leagues going on, but uh, a few weeks ago we had three tournaments in the span of two weekends. So you yeah, had DreamHack Austin at the last week of April. Uh, and then, Directly after that, the next week, you had IAM Sydney and DreamHack Tours in France happening basically at the same time. Uh, IAM Sydney had some group stages during the week, and then DreamHack was just on the weekend. But, so you had two tournaments happening at the same time, and G2 Heroic and Hellraisers had a hell of a time that week because they're all Europe-based teams. So they flew out to the United States for DreamHack Austin and Texas, and then immediately after that, went right back to France um, for Dreamhack Tours. So there's just a lot, a lot of travel for these teams. And it doesn't seem to be a, a, an end in place because, you know, at the end of last year, everybody, like you said, that was a hot-button topic. Topic. Everybody was looking at how many games they played versus everybody else because, you know, they do play a lot of games. And each game, especially, there's been a lot more competitive Uh, Games where you're going closer to 30 rounds every time. So these games are lasting quite a while. And just, you know, the the grind of resetting every single round, having to do new strategies, having to, to, you know, tweak your, your tactics as you're going. So it has to be rough to just play this many games. And I just feel like there has to be a better structure. I mean, if you look at the Call of Duty, how they do things, you know, it seems very structured. They do have, you know, like they had Las Vegas and Dallas and, florida so i mean they do have these sort of events that happen all across the you know united states and just in different places even that we had the one in london but there just seems to be a bit uh, a better structure in place than we see in CS:GO because there's just so much happening so i mean joe do you know do you think there's a way out of this do you think they need to revamp the scene
1: um yeah what do you think think they can do i think that cod's New schedule that they're doing There there are some downfalls to that I, I love Call of Duty probably more than any other esport out there And I will admit that there are still things that could be fixed And that will need to be done I think this is an improvement um, Based off of the online uh, Call of Duty World League Which we saw last year And there are some obvious pitfalls from that Now we're seeing it not be online It's being played on LAN But I'd actually like to see more of the games take place Between other you know, teams Not just basically four mini tournaments All wrapped into one big name That's kind of what this is now there's, mm-hmm. So there's some pitfalls of it, but I think I'm curious about your point that you mentioned uh, in regards to the oversaturation in CSGO, that they're kind of going, the matches are going on longer, we're seeing teams go to 30 rounds. I wonder if that isn't, you know, a catch-22 situation, that there's more film on these teams because they're playing more, so teams could then see what they're doing, plan for the strategies, and though that's how these games get extended, right? I, but yeah. Do, I think that that plays a part in it, um, but I think what we would, what we could find, we, I don't know if we'll be able to, because I think short answer is there's so much money in CS:GO, there's so much money in esports right now that there aren't going to be less leagues. I don't think that there's going to be unless there's some way to get the two leagues and all the other tournaments to you know like revenue share all the money, which again, not possible because <laughs> everyone wants to make money and they want to make yeah. more than their are people, so it's not possible. But if that were the case, and then we saw a uniformed strategy and a system. Get made. I wonder if a that would help with player. I'm going to say player development being making more teams become relevant. A and B teams sticking together around longer. And then C. I wonder if we would still get the same kind of quality competition. I guess you would speak to the quality competition though. Like, are these 16 to 14 games actually good, or is it just like, oh, well, that guy made a stupid mistake and now uh, you know G2 is able to rattle off a seven round advantage that they didn't have previously. Well yeah,
2: it, and that's the thing. Like they a lot of them they are going, you know, to thirty rounds, but I it's at least in my, you know, respect, I, I do watch quite a bit and it seems like there isn't while well, the end score does come out sixteen, fourteen, it's so like, hey, that must have been a really close game. A lot of these games are ones that start out ten to five or, you know, twelve to three on one side and then the other team flips it. So right. It, it's it's not as if there's a lot of back and forth. I mean, that's what we did have in the past. Um, like, you know, a lot of the SK Astralis uh, Grand Finals or even the Astralis Optic games from um, E-League and from ECS Season 2, you had a lot of games where it was back and forth and you had some really good action. But at least it, with IM Sydney and even with a lot of the games towards the end of the um, ESL Pro League and even at ES, uh, the ECS Season 3, there is just a lot of, of one-sided games being flipped back and forth um and and that's not necessarily good csgo in my opinion um it's not bad because i mean bad is when you have like 16-0 16-2 um when you know when a team like sk is playing against i don't know rush or or ghost gaming stuff like that so like those are when you kind of see the the bad csgo but on the flip side you know one team that goes 12-3 and then if the other team goes 12-3 to force overtime i don't necessarily call that good csgo
1: no um, and you I, know, don't, if, I, I don't either yeah. i think it's an oversaturation thing and again yeah. i don't think we'll really see an answer for that anytime soon i just don't see you know guys that are making tons of money saying oh no actually i'm gonna take my money away to better help yeah. the esports <laughs> that's that's not gonna happen yeah. unfortunately that's the case and unfortunately we have run out of time this has been a longer offensive assault podcast uh, but a lot of things to catch up on I don't think that we'll be doing a regular podcast like we do with Fiesta Watch, but I do like to try and get these out there and kind of hear what Wine has to say, hear what some of the other guys on the staff get to talk about with their first-person shooters. Um, I think kind of best way to wrap this up is a: we need less events in CS:GO. B: yep. I'm the better host. And C: that's all that matters. All right. So, uh, with that being said, you can follow me at JB Fantasy Sports Twitter. Yes, please follow me there. Why, where can they follow you at? Uh, they can follow me at
2: RW. Again, make sure you get that double underscore.
1: I should have definitely asked Christian where, where the people can follow him at, but he will be included in the podcast, rest assured. Everyone who loved <laughs> to hear the uh, lovely siren of Christian's voice, go ahead and off. Uh, that does it for us for our second episode of, of Offensive Assault. We will see you again next time, everyone.